This is what people are saying about the also boot camp. It's a commodity that you cannot afford to start a business without. You feel safe. You feel safe to ask the questions that are really, really important to you. Even though you think, oh, maybe that's kind of a dumb question. No, just ask the question. Someone will answer to you. Someone will help you address the issue that is really important to you. But I thought I had to come into the market with a perfect product. But now I understand that, you know, I should have my MVP and just pivot along the way. And that's, that's actually a better plan because now that we started the site, people are now telling us what they want, not as opposed to what I want to build. So right now I'm building according to what my audience wants. If I was to say to somebody who's interested in setting up a business or are in a business and they need to achieve a certain aim, I, I consider this a, a really good find. There is no single pathway to entrepreneurial success. Most of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed on this podcast have gone through unique ways to reach their goals, but there are similar milestones along the journey. There are common questions every entrepreneur should address as they build their business. How do I find an idea I should pursue? How do I validate the idea? How do I build the product? How do I launch it? How do I find and reach customers? How do I grow? revenue and scale? How do I build a community around my product? How do I build a team that we execute? How do I raise money? These are the fundamental questions every entrepreneur should be asking. The Hustle Bootcamp program will help you tackle these questions. The Hustle Bootcamp is an intensive five-week online program for high-performing individuals who want to build profitable, scalable, and fundable business in Africa. This is not your average online course. It is a coaching program. Everything in the course is designed towards enabling you to launch your new business or innovate an existing one. We are prioritizing transformation over information. There are five models in the program and they will be delivered over video along with worksheets, action plans, and step-by-step guides. But more importantly, every week during the program, I'll be hosting live office hours Q&A where we'll be breaking down key aspects of the course. And I'll have some of the guests from this podcast in the live Q&A. If you really want to build, scale, or get funding for your own business, this is the program for you. Registration is now open and we'll be closing it very soon. We have very limited seats. Go to thehustlebootcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-U-S-T-L-E bootcamp.com. Thehustlebootcamp.com and register now. The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. It's like a majority of Africa-focused investors today value actual today's revenue more than maybe amazing product metrics that you can show. So make money. Can make money, uh, you can attract investors. It is not Silicon Valley where if you show great traction, money will come to you.
Beautifully Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. This is the second part of my conversation with Bastian Gota. In the first session, we discussed how he founded Eroko TV with Jason Joku, how he supported Jason in his other businesses before they founded Eroko TV and became successful. In this episode, we discussed the challenges and the opportunities they had after they raised money from Tiger Global and why Bastian decided to leave Eroko TV. If you have not listened to the first part, it is a continuous conversation with the second part. I will encourage you to listen to that before listening to this. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. So in terms of personal challenges, business challenges at that point in time, what were our major challenges? Figuring out product market fit in Nigeria versus the West. So our business has always had this problem of having had a big diaspora audience that was consuming Nollywood with Western demands versus a Nigerian audience which wasn't consuming Nollywood on their phones yet and sort of had to be step by step brought on to, to doing that and had to have different price points occasionally different content mixes, uh, different technologies supporting them consuming Nollywood on their phones. So this problem of having a big sophisticated market that you're serving in a very, very unsophisticated market and what product do you build uh, was a huge challenge and to this day is a challenge for Eroko TV. I think slowly but surely Nigeria is becoming closer to the West in their consumptions, but there's still unique challenges on the product side which are uniquely Nigerian it, like the cost of data. Pin down your, market, your mm. audience, your market segment mm-hmm. go up. Mm-hmm. Is that a challenge? Well, it or, was the, a, or the segment was just shifting too much for so, the product? So it was multiple things, right? You, you knew that the end goal was the sub-Saharan African Android phone video consumer. That is our end goal of where we want to build a big subscription business with. However, that consumer today is, doesn't always have the devices, doesn't always have the ability to pay for the data. The data is more expensive than the subscription in itself. doesn't have the sophistication to use it so it's a really nascent and early market while at the same time we could charge five to six dollars to a western customer and you only needed a 50 or sixty thousand of them and you had a significant business and we had that but they wanted you know an ios application and they wanted you know smart tv integrations and and they wanted a different product to this individual they wanted a different price point so there was you know or they're willing to pay a different price point than than the people in nigeria so this conflict between the two consumers that are consuming the same content was a huge challenge to the business and has always been a challenge to the business and to this day is occasionally confusing with the Europe. But if you want to pick where you think your growth is, yeah. uh, which which of the market? No, that's fine. You, the answer is always Sub-Saharan Africa is where the growth is. The question is, your investor will not only ask you, hey, um, where's the growth? Where are your metrics? They will also say, where's your revenue? Yes. They always want everything, right? Or I want everything. Not only they want it, we all want it, right? We want to have a big market, we want to have a big adoption and we want to make a lot of money. But in this Sub-Saharan African online video entertainment market, you cannot make big money at this point in time it is literally not possible there's not a single vod platform which has succeeded in sub 
Saharan Africa at this point in time. I think Eroko is probably one of the most successful VOD products out there. Because you mm. have this huge audience funding in diaspora that is From funding diaspora, and giving you the revenue. It's funding and giving revenue, but we're also starting to build one locally, right? We have like 30, 40,000 subscribers in Nigeria today and they're paying us and that's fantastic. So it's building, but it's still small, right? And they're not paying $5 a month, they're paying maybe a dollar a month, right? So like you can say, hey, my product market fit is working in Nigeria. I'm slowly growing, but I'm, I'm still small. Is right? there a factor of the spending cap- cap- yeah, capacity that, of those people or the data? I, I think the it's internet a data. I think the spending capacity is not not a problem on the subscription side of things. On the data, it is. And, and maybe it's not even the spending capacity. It's more of a competitive positioning. I, if you can buy Go TV for 500 Naira a month or 1,000 Naira a month, and you can buy Iroko TV for 1,000 Naira a month, but you need to buy another 1,000 Naira a month worth of data, you don't make that choice. Like, why would I, I consume Go TV versus consuming Iroko? Yes, it's on demand, but you know, it costs 2,000 Naira. I can afford 2,000 Naira. That's not the problem. But why would I go for a more expensive product when I can go for a cheaper product, right? So um, capacity to spend, I don't think is the real issue. It's more like a comparative value proposition is established of Iroko which has a subscription fee plus data versus a GoTV or an alternative form of entertainment, which is only slowly becoming more and more competitive uh, as the data costs reduce. And and then in the end, I, I truly believe that the sub-Saharan African consumer will enjoy video on demand much more than linear television. I mean, the whole world is moving towards it. I, I don't expect it to be any different in sub-Saharan Africa. So the consumer will shift uh, towards the non-linear experience on the mobile device the moment it becomes a competitive offer. So- and you think that's the that's the tension? That's a tension. That was our major challenges back then. It's our, one of our major challenges today. And it's just mm-hmm. you managing that tension and holding and betting at the market. Yes, you need to consistently manage user numbers and revenue numbers, right? In our case, they didn't necessarily always go hand in hand, right? I could show a lot more traction, but I'm not making money. Like, is that what what I can raise more money with, or can I raise more money with making more money, showing less traction? So you want everything you can't get everything make a choice in in general in terms of advice if this is the point of this conversation it's like the majority of africa focused investors today value actual today's revenue more than maybe amazing product metrics that you can show so make money you can make money uh you can attract investors it is not silicon valley where if you show great traction money will come to you and it's kind of the wrong way around but that's how it is the reality in africa place Mm. where you say okay i'm betting on the turning so i want and i cannot make this so give example a few years ago uh when i first i was with the vc the the main managing part potential is main business is comparisons okay mm-hmm. compare product on amazon ebay and buy traffic on google mm-hmm. and sell that lead to amazon and ebay mm-hmm. so we didn't look we now looked at mm-hmm. and he said okay the market africa the market is so so nuts it's just mm-hmm. uh, if, yeah we have conga uh, jumia but what they are doing in terms of volume of transaction per month is what he's doing in a day yep. and just in mm-hmm. and so, so there's nothing to compare so just for the market but he said the market will emerge mm-hmm. so and the person that is there when the market emerge will create a lot of value yeah. so it's a question of do you then say okay i know this might emerge because the traffic going mm-hmm. there and i can just show traction to get the money and get back us investors that will get me to that place where i'm in position for mm-hmm. the market at the end of the day we didn't do that we didn't do it. we mm-hmm. don't have that kind of capacity to wait for it. but do you think there's a place for that kind of product to say okay this market is not there and there's no revenue mm-hmm. but it's going to and somebody's mm-hmm. going to win it and i mm-hmm. want to be in position
decision to win. I don't think there's a clear-cut answer to that question. Timing is incredibly important. One of the questions that I ask as an investor to an entrepreneur is like, why now? Like, what's different now for you to make this a success? And that's essentially a timing question. And usually answers, oh, smartphones are coming, this or that, and it's fine, understood, right? But uh, if there's any other things that are changing right now that that it might be a bit more micro or something that you can clearly pinpoint saying like this is why this is a tipping point and you can express that clearly that's that's a good answer right like now it's one of the questions i ask in order to work that out am i timing it right all the time absolutely not are entrepreneurs timing it right all the time absolutely not right they, everybody sort of gets it wrong is there a scenario where we were doing dvds in nollywood and all of a sudden youtube switched monetization on like we were just there and we got lucky that that happened at that point in time but that's when it became time when youtube switched on advertisement monetization the changing of the distribution model of nollywood started and we were there just six months before so we got incredibly lucky we can't say that you know we knew this was going to happen but this was one of those arguments like nollywood is big um i'm going to play in this industry and at some point it's going to change i'm going to be right there like and i'm going to watch it so is that an argument absolutely if you have the stamina to do that pick a big industry to wait for the right moment be there be active you, you can win because that's um, one of the pieces behind uh, so a lot of rockets business mm, they are betting on the father africa transaction mm, and there'll be value in the internet mm, they're betting on that because yeah. i think when they came here with Jumia, people are not buying online yeah Those, the market is just not there and they educated yeah. and built the market yeah they did and they did they spent an incredible amount of money, <laughs> money uh, yes. educating <laughs> the market and i thought i think they thought that it would be a lot further than where it is today so they timed it wrong i i would argue right and they approached it with the incorrect model like um today they would go in much more light yeah rather than warehouses and infrastructure they would literally build a marketplace website yeah where, where people can list and they they would have saved themselves a huge amount of money so i think they timed it wrong so do big companies get it wrong do small entrepreneurs get it right there's all sorts of scenarios there's an element of luck involved in that equation of being at the right time in the right space um but you can force the luck a little bit by working incredibly hard and putting everything into it and you might be two years too early but you know you forced it and then you were there when it actually happened and um but it could also be that it takes five years and you run out of steam right so i don't think there's a clear-cut answer to this so let's talk briefly about uh you and them becoming a full event mm-hmm. so you you joined iroko as an mm-hmm. investor partner yes yeah. an operational co-founder and at one point you were run spat mm-hmm. investing yeah. Yeah. what was the idea behind that well i keep asking myself question why did your investor allow you to do that when you have a business you've not totally proven and now you're suddenly running an incubator accelerator whatever program running good question right like um entrepreneurs by their very nature like to build things and involve themselves in loads of things um we we involved ourselves into into spark yeah which was essentially raised about two or we raised two and a half million dollars uh to invest in nigerian companies it was a part you raised separately 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 from money that goes to you went to some lps and said mm-hmm. we've been building iraq mm-hmm. we want to do that. Yeah. how do you mm, i guess if you have some form of success in a market um people will follow you um and if you cultivate that right then then people will follow you more and more blindly each time you can prove it um so you literally just need to say hey this is what i'm doing in this particular instance i i'd funded iroko to about two hundred thousand dollars um to the tune of about two hundred thousand dollars and in 
2010, just before 11, sorry, just before Tiger invested, um, we decided, hey, we need a little bit more money to buy more licenses. So I went to two guys on the trading floor and said, hey, give us $100,000 for 10% of the business. And um, they gave us $100,000 for 10% of the business. And like literally two months later, the business was... <laughs> you know, valued at $12 million. So their $50,000 investment was not worth, uh, you know, $600,000 in like literally a space of three or four months. So they must be laughing. Yeah, they were laughing. I mean, these guys, in the end, they put in $50,000. They made $1.2 million each, like cash out. Yeah, so... um it was probably one of the best returns they've ever made. They cashed out after several other investments because I know Iroko has not exited. They mm-hmm. cashed out yeah, when another so investment came in. Yeah, so one of the strategics uh, bought them out. So they invested $50,000, made $1.2 million. Within how many it, years? Um, this was within five years, I think. Yeah, so fantastic return for them. And um, if you tap those types of guys and say, hey, I'm Bastian Gardner and Jason, you, I've made you money before, give me some more. They will give you money. So that was a large part how how Spark was created. It was created on the back of the success of Iroko and we sort of tapped them for some money and invested them by Spark. Spark uh, was a partial success I would argue right it had two models uh, going one it was investing in companies things like hotels.ng, toilet.com.ng, um, drinks.ng, um, paystack so a bunch of like uh, early stage companies and the other part was we were a company builder i.e. would have a concept and this was 2013 right there was not a lot of founders and not a lot of ecosystem in Nigeria full stop. There was Cheki, uh, Jobberman, uh, Wakanao, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, like there was no ecosystem. Yeah, like there was, it was very, very small. And um, so Jason was of the opinion, let's create the concepts and hire people and push in that direction, which was in hindsight quite flawed, right? A company without a founder is like a company without a heart. Yeah, like it, it just doesn't work. So the majority of that money went into companies that in the end ended up bankrupt um, because they didn't have a real founder who would go the extra mile to make that work. I mean, Jason and I would try and do it, but we also had Iroko to run, right? So I'm trying to understand why that didn't work and why, okay, I think there's an obvious answer to that. Mm. Why Jumia did that, Mm. uh, Rocket Internet worked, Mm. but I think there's, remove the money, they treat Mm. a lot of money Mm. and hire people Mm. that call fans. Is that a major reason why they're, I mean, relatively Mm. So I would ask argue that um, somebody invested a dollar into Jumia back in whenever they started 2013-14 in Nigeria um, will sit on some paper gains maybe today but in the end I don't think will make, make a lot of money right so I don't know if it worked I don't think it worked but um, essentially what was their concept their concept was to say you know what um, there's no founder but the founder is going to get replaced by a Harvard MBA at some point anyways let me pay somebody $150,000 replace the founder stage and execute a known business model in an emerging market and i think that hasn't worked because there was no known business model in nigeria i.e standard e-commerce they thought they could you know copy it from zando or wherever they they had it or zalando in germany it it couldn't be applied like that and it needed adaptation and the only people that really care about these sort of things are the people that locally found these companies they know how to adapt them but not some harvard mba who leaves after a year like he doesn't have the incentive to learn the local market and actually adapt it so i think it's failed there for us it failed mostly for for similar 
problems. You didn't have a real founder who's committed to work at a below market rate pay in exchange for a large chunk of the equity, which is the trade you make as a founder. And you have unwavering belief that this equity is going to pay you so much more than your market-related salary will ever pay you. And people so, underestimate that founding business. That's why some people, and I try to argue that, okay, you have this idea, you're not going to tell anyone because they're going to copy uh, tell the bank. And they cannot do it the way you do it because you are the founder, mm-hmm. you are the soul, like mm-hmm. you said, or the heart of the business. And there is that founder drive that is very important so incentives is one equation i think the other point you just mentioned which i 100 agree is that if the founder doesn't have the initial idea of the business there is no emotional connection to that business which is you know when you have an argument with somebody and somebody is defending their own idea they will fight like crazy because it's their idea you know like i can't be wrong like there's no way i'm wrong right and that is what an entrepreneur in the end is right he says i'm an idea i'm going to change this market there's no way i'm wrong nobody is that convinced about an idea that they didn't initially come up with it needs to initially come from the front so your initial sin when you give somebody a concept to execute is that it wasn't their idea and if it's not their idea they're not going to defend it as if it was their idea and then you have the incentive layers on top of that where you know they're not incentived all the way by shares they want a market rate related pay so I agree with you, mm-hmm. but then there's also the bit that we cannot push that to the extremes. You can have mm-hmm. an income like Jason and mm-hmm. told, and then you are committed. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't your original. So you were committed. Mm-hmm. And it's totally, I know it's totally different from I have this idea, I pay you to come and work, yeah. right? Which is the flip side if you mm-hmm. were the one that come up with the Roku idea and then you told Jason, hey, I'm going to pay you your and stuff. Like the Roku idea, I mean, what was the, the initial idea was, hey, there's Nollywood, we need to distribute it better. Now, I could agree to that. I had no agreement. Then you start getting involved in the actual day-to-day operations, make pivotal sort of like switches in the business model, and you really get tied emotionally to that business. Um, how is that different from somebody who got hired? I don't know. I was giving up a lot to be there, right? It's I didn't get paid. Yeah, like uh, I paid to be there. <laughs> yeah, like I paid to make decisions in this business. So I think it was a different emotional connection. Um, so incentives one problem the other one is the emotional connection um why i think this didn't really work and three is sort of like the quality of somebody who gets hired to execute something versus the quality of somebody who just believes in it and wants to do it is is, is i find often very very different like people who do things for money versus people who just fundamentally believe in it uh, are two different types of characters right you have a mark sien or myself who came from the london trading floor and said you know what? i'm gonna sit in nigeria like i was paid when i first my salary was divided by 20 when I came to Nigeria. Like, that's, you know, I, I took a significant cut. Like, everybody thought I was the stupidest person. And financially, I probably was to this day. I probably have been done better sitting in London, holding an Iroko stake without actually working for it. Because I could have made my money in London and still had an equity share, just like the other two guys from BP who invested $50,000 and made $1.2 million. So I would have done better not, not come, right? But it wasn't about that, right? So um, it was more about like, I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I wanted to, you know, see more of this world than eight screens and i was willing to divide my salary by 20 yeah 
like well, my pay package by 20. So that's uh, a big lesson for like, sit days and trying to hit the kick and have. Yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah, like so you, you got to make a sacrifice. Like uh, either it doesn't exist. Yeah, so I mean that that is a humongous sort of sacrifice. I, it, it was divided by 20. I had outstanding bonuses which were vested over another two three years. I forgone all those bonuses. So it was a yeah a very big financial decision, but it was not done out of financial motivation. So you have that founder. Uh, I had that connection to that connection, business. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's on like something. It was like Jason was my it. friend. We we're doing it 50-50. We'd build that business from scratch. You know, I'd given the money, he'd done the work. If I didn't make any money, he couldn't have done the work. It was an understanding that was a 50% partner in that business, not just some random investor who had money. Yeah, like nobody was going to give Jason any money like at that point in time. Nobody was giving Jason a single dollar. Yeah, like so I was probably the only person you could get the money from. So so, so let's quickly race to mm-hmm. what you're doing now and why now you've let mm-hmm. go. Yes. Uh, and the business has done significantly. Mm-hmm. What makes you leave now? So the business did well. You know, over time, as a business grows up, two things happen. Everything becomes more professional. I, you have a CFO, you have a CTO, you have a maybe a COO, right? You, you have professional departments and you become less and less general i.e. everybody comes a little bit more specialized apart from the ceo who still makes a lot of decisions and the other thing that sort of happens is the bigger the company gets decision making gets more complicated um so in the end you needed a scenario where you have one decision on something and that that was final so one i felt that i was going more and more into just the finance part of the business which is not really what i just wanted to do and two you needed a controlled decision making from the top that set out a clear vision and jason set that out i didn't always agree with it like we had fair amount of disagreements about the strategy of Eurocom. and i sort of said to him like look jason um, help me a little you know like help me maybe sell some equity and you can make all the strategic decisions in this business as you want and subsequently i step aside and I will pursue my decision making, right? So um, I think it had to happen for the business. I think it happens in a lot of businesses that at some point the founders, you know, if we're both commercial, it's not like I'm the CTO, Jason is a commercial person. We're both commercial, right? So we felt we had opinions on very similar topics and very and strong opinions, and divergent opinions. And on, strategy. on certain strategic topics, and right? The, and uh, that didn't evolve initially because together that yeah. become apparent. That yeah. Maybe it was just we had stronger and stronger views about what the right way to run this business was like Jason is somebody who will go all in he will run out of money every time and go and raise more and I'd be much more cautious than that right and say hey you know what like let's be a bit slower you know make sure we can meet payrolls make the right decisions and but something you don't grow that fast right and as a venture-backed business everything is incentivized you just grow 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 so um Jason was always on that path I was a bit more conservative I wanted to save a bit more you know be a bit more conservative financially that showed right like and and you can't have that you know that's a good tension but also sometimes it creates a negative scenario yes. right where the decision is not agreed in the end and people go in different directions and now it creates tension in the organization you don't want that so um that was sort of like one of our major things i was getting specialized into a particular area which i didn't want to be in and, and i said you know what so both strategically you know, and operationally this is this is not what i wanted so jason you know what let's find a fantastic cfo uh that that can help you support to this business uh, uh support me in in, in sale of some of my shares and we will we'll find 
the way, you know, maybe depart with some point in time. And that was what absolutely yes. And it was mutual. It was yeah. It was a mutually agreed scenario. It was obviously fought out in many many individual fights, but in the end, that's what it resulted in. And but it makes perfect sense, right? And, and the investors were happy with that. Happy when somebody who has a significant shareholding in the business leaves, um, somebody who's really emotionally and financially vested in the performance of the business. People people are not always happy, but at the same time, they know like if somebody is not particular role they're playing in the business it's not good having somebody unhappy around the company either with as much sway i guess as i had in that company so it was proposed a fantastic alternative and said you know how it's going to be and and subsequently nobody's going to tell you what you got to do yeah like sorry this is it yeah like I, i'm stepping aside and thank you very much like I, i'm still supportive i still sit on the board i'll help you're out still, you're still in the board on the board i'm still on the board still, still have yeah, yeah yeah so it's mm. not that you're just outside trying to be seen you're you're still fully mm. not fully mm. but you're still I still sit on the board. I'm still a shareholder, so um, and I'm supportive of the business. I want it to succeed. I mean, there's nothing more than I want Heroku to succeed. This company I founded, like together with Jason, 2010. Yeah. What are you doing? So um, Nigeria was exhausting. Yeah, let, let's be very honest. Like, and running a business at that scale and running out of money each year for five years. We raised money every single year. So each year by November, December, we didn't know how to meet payroll. That's exhausting. Operating in Nigeria, that's exhausting. So I was physically and mentally so i sort of took 2017 as a year of like drinking coffee having conversations going to san francisco i went to nairobi i went to south africa just to understand the sort of the ecosystem a little bit more i've done a couple of investments in the process because i had some money because i sold some shares in Eurocor, and that's been great and i thought like hey maybe let's set up a fund or what sort of money the, do you have so is there enough money for you not to work again like, you know it depends on how greedy you are right like uh, do you need to fly first class i don't have enough money for flying first class for the rest of my life can i live a good life uh, for the rest of my life without working absolutely so if i don't want to work i don't have to but i mean that's not just Eurocore, right i've worked incredibly hard for the last 12 years on the trading floor here built a significant property portfolio which yields me monthly income so i don't have to work if i don't want to but i'm not like that yeah well, i'm gonna watch tv or something like that's not gonna happen <laughs> yeah so i'll find something but for the time being i, I wanted to rest and, and sort of not do anything where somebody can call me up at 11 o'clock at night and say you must come to the office because otherwise we're gonna die <laughs> so like i just didn't want that so for last year i kind of uh, went around and i observed the ecosystem in, in the whole of sub-saharan africa and went to nairobi went to south africa went to san francisco and spoke to everybody and and, and kind of like still am a little bit open on what the next step is uh, raising a fund is one thing i've always enjoyed investing obviously been doing it for about seven years it's it's one of the the bigger objectives the other one i you know when i see a company and i'm like wow this is an amazing company concept is a great team let me buy 30 percent of that company and get operationally involved you know like it's very tempting right absolutely absolutely like there's no doubt and i'm looking at one of those plays in south africa at the moment i, I can't really say but where do you it is want yes. to be a, is that interesting like absolutely raise a fund and become a vc and absolutely I, i've always loved investing like uh, I, I love the ecosystem i love speaking to it's like the, the fun thing about investing is i don't think it's financially necessarily the most interesting thing Thing. What, what it is it is intellectually curious and diverse right like that's what it is and so that's one piece which is, makes it absolutely fascinating the other thing is like you speak with the entrepreneurs themselves like entrepreneurs by their very definition are positive upbeat aggressive boundary pushing sort of like 
people. It's fascinating, right? The other day I was talking to this guy called Daniel. I, I would not, I don't know, I would not invest in this company, but he was talking to me about how he's going to change the land registry in Africa via blockchain, this, that. And he explained to me how does, how did the land registry come about in the United States? And he had all this knowledge about how land registries came about and said like economic empowerment starts with people owning their land. I mean, this is like what Robert Mugabe was saying, you know, but he says, look, having a commercial title to the land is an important thing and Africa doesn't solve this. Then people can't trade land and they can't invest in their land. They don't know if they own it. They need to sit on the land all the time. Otherwise, somebody else takes it. This is going to unlock so much value. It was a conceptually fascinating what he was talking about, right? And, and that's the curiosity and the intellectual piece where you're like, yeah, I might not invest it as a business opportunity, but it's amazing talking to you. And then you have these individuals who are just so obsessed with this particular idea. And this is like a moonshot idea, right? Like, I'm going to change the land registry in Africa. And it's like, it, that's the fun part of this piece versus operating a particular industry and knowing that in detail. And that's um, fascinating for you as, as an investor. Yeah, to have absolutely. Those kind of conversations. And so I, will, I will always do it. So this angel investing, whether I start my own company or not, I will always on the side angel invest. I want to become good at it. I I've, I've had, I think, pretty good returns. I made 50x on my Roku investment. I have a company, I think they, they're going to IPO in, in London uh, very soon. That's about 25x. Um, so I've done really well on my personal angel investing. Um, I have one. I don't think I have a zero. I have one, which I think is a 4x or something at the moment at last company valuation. So on that stuff, I've done really well. So I, I want to do more of it. And it's not because I've done well. It's I love doing it. Yeah. So uh, I want to continue it. Whether I operate another business, I will always on the side angel invest. And so angel investing versus VC? I think angel investing I can do on the side. Uh, VC is, okay, I'm not going to operate anything. I'm going to become a professional investor. And if there's somebody to do that with um, that has enough size behind them, let's say anything between 25 to $50 million uh, that wants to partner with me to do that. Uh, yeah, I'll be open to exploring that in more detail. I have a pretty clear thesis about what I think will work in Africa. I've lived and worked in this space uh, for the last six, seven years. Um, so I'm looking for a partner if there is one. Uh, at the same time, if something operationally emerges and you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. At this point in time, there's no clear-cut answer to what it is exactly. Um, but yeah, it's somewhere between those two. That, that's what's going to happen. That, that's actually big, big. So one of the key things that is coming out in Africa, you're still betting huge. So I'm like, you know what? Africa is not a bet anymore for me or something. It's like, my daughter's half Nigerian, half German. She needs to be proud where she comes from. Like, they, it's not like, oh, is could I bet on China versus Africa versus Latin America? It doesn't matter. I'm going to bet on Africa, right? So it's like, I'm I'm here. Yeah, there is no, I'm in. Yeah, it's a, Cape Town. Uh, uh, yes, that's a fair, fair comment. Is it, is yeah, it really like Africa or whatever? Yeah, I, I, I really love, love Cape Town. So. <laughs> so for me, it's more of a thing like, I'm going to invest in Africa. My daughter is here. Like, she needs to be proud about where she comes from and want to make an impact on her world that she's going to inhabit going forward of course she can move to germany she has a german passport but i don't know at least let let her be proud where she comes from so that motivation is there and yeah i, I don't think i will go anywhere else at, at this point in time I, i've been i love business travel in africa so if i sit on some propeller machine into togo yeah it's just good fun like i, I love that feeling you know going into tanzania rwanda uganda or whatever like i, I love those business trips into you know the jungle or whatever or some city or kampala or whatever 
whatever and making a connection so i've truly enjoyed that um so my daughter is number one reason for stop um secondly i have enjoyed the people in africa i've made fantastic connections and thirdly is it going to be financially viable i think it is you know it's like you can play in london on the trading floor and there's 50 smart guys yeah or you can you know operate in nigeria and be you know one of the smarter guys you you can who can apply themselves to this market or who's willing to it and it's not like a chore anymore because you actually love being here so um i think it's like you're playing in a, in a smaller pond but if you're good you you might actually make some good returns and yeah you like so bigger influences. you have a bigger influence you can make impacts um and so is it more interesting versus other markets financially arguably it could be yeah like uh, it's it's hard to compare yeah so we're going to end this conversation by sure. me asking some fire and questions and just sure. need a quick answer okay ready okay. to go yeah, yeah. uh what was your biggest business what was my biggest business pain point um delegation right like staff yeah like in the end you need to find people that treat your business like you would treat it and that, that is really hard to find and it's all around incentivization and culture so that was my biggest pain point what was your number one project subscribers Subscribers. yeah which book are you reading i'm reading like five books at the moment I, i'm reading a, a book by jason kaftanis uh, he's an angel investor kalakanis kalakanis that's yes. it yeah so he's an angel investor he wrote a book he's very brash uh it's called angel investing and I, i'm just reading that i'm reading a book by robert Koch. it's called good profits you know the Koch brothers are very libertarian sort of yes. like uh, in- investors and company builders in the united states and they developed this concept of good profit I- i'm reading that at the moment uh, i just put a book about education which is called class clowns is about how a lot of people have lost a lot of money investing in education thinking they're doing something good but not actually achieving anything uh, called class clowns yeah those are the three books i'm, I'm reading at the moment plus I, i'm reading like a haruki murakami book about death i, I don't know about, <laughs> yeah, about colors yeah. yeah which business is getting you i know you mm-hmm. met a lot of businesses mm-hmm. but which particular right now what's a really really exciting business you know i don't want to name anything obvious yeah like uh, i could say hey i I'm an investor in Flutterwave and that's a great business. Hey, I'm an investor in a sports betting company and that's a great business. But like um, something that I'm thinking about investing in uh, for a long time is a business called uh, Mchanga in Kenya. I haven't invested yet and I don't know if I should disclose this on this platform before somebody else does. So I've looked at insurance companies in Nigeria. I had an insurance comparison portal with the Spark incubator called Insured, which failed. And then you see things like Kangpe who are trying to sell health insurance there. I don't know, they just changed their name. Um, so insurance always pops up as this concept of people trying to sell insurance in Africa. And then I met these Mchanga guys and they said to me, like, look, Bashin, like people don't want insurance. In Kenya, there's a concept called Harambe. And I know it from Nigeria too, which is saying that I break my leg. Let me ask all my friends to contribute in order for me to go to the doctor to fix it. Now you have a social insurance, right? It is not, I pay an insurance premium each month in order order to be health insured no i have loads of friends and family that i tap up when i need something done and they don't only use this for health related matters is there's a funeral okay there's a funeral let me tap up everybody please contribute a little bit or um there's a wedding please contribute a little bit or i'm starting a business please contribute a little bit so it is not simply an insurance it is just a way of community funding 
which is sort of bigger than the insurance market in itself, which is driven by the relationships in order to fund particular projects. And in the Western term, this is called crowdfunding, right? They crowdfund for these causes and they use technology in order to facilitate it. But crowdfunding in the West is something about, you know, like, oh, I'm running a marathon and it's going to a charity or I'm running a business or something. Here you, you have essentially a scenario where you have an offline behavior which exists in every African country. Let me collect money from my friends and family for a cause and they're facilitating it with technology. And that is potentially way bigger than any insurance you can ever sell because they conceptually don't want it. Yeah, like the to think of some hypothetical I'm going to break my leg in the future scenario. Which is, is a different is it, concept to, is, is, than a mind. To, to, the, to the majority because of the... Why didn't you wave that exists rather than trying to absolutely. tell them to join? So these are... Life. When people come up with these types of concepts and say, hey, this market thinks about this problem differently and here's a technical solution to it, I get excited. So, Is that core of your thesis? Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, to what degree that can be part of the thesis, I, I don't know. Your, what is the primary? Uh, so in one sentence on the B2C side, I like businesses that focus on product or services that can be consumed by people on less than $10 a day. So if this product or service is not applicable, as if it's a B2C business uh, for people on less than $10 a day, I'm not an investor. So if you come to me with some luxury product, you know, $100 dresses or whatever, I, I just don't believe in it. It has to be a mass market product and fundamentally change the way things are done. Um, that's on the B2C side. On the B2B side, it, it's a bit more tricky, right? Here you would focus more on large markets, let's say payments, uh, um, accounting or HR, right? Which are large B2B sort of Is it markets. large in terms of enterprise or large in terms of S the volume, SMB? So it could be both, SMB. right? It could be like, oh, they need to target FMCG enterprises because you know what? They're a third of uh, uh, consumer spend in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And if you help them do something, you know, to better sell soap, then maybe that's an interesting business. An accounting software platform goes across all small to medium-sized businesses, so it's got a wide application. Um, so that's on the B2B side in terms of thesis. Now, how do you fit something like Mchanga in there? I, I don't really know. Yeah, like, what's that? But in the end, I do feel like people crowdsource for these special moments, right? And and especially people on less of $10 a day, they don't have health insurance. So if something happens, they need to get the money from their friends and family. And if there's somebody who can help them do that technologically more efficiently than they can do it, they will do it, right? Right? So um, that's one of those where concepts where I always feel like, you know what, somebody's coming at the market from a different angle than all these people who are trying to sell insurance to an African consumer who doesn't care about insurance, right? So I like that. Yeah, it's like, oh, people are consuming Nollywoods. Nobody in the West really knows what, what Nollywood is, right? It's just like these odd little so things. So it's advantage and Well, I have deep understanding of the underlying culture, right? And what can be done with it, right? Versus like, oh, let's apply a rocket e-commerce business to Nigeria. Well, uh, I don't know. Some of that might work. You need to adapt it and that's fine. But uh, I don't think that's where I can, you know, that's done by the big players. Oh, Alex will come to Nigeria to do classifieds. Am I going to start a classifieds business? No. Am I the one who sees that an Mchanga has potential? Yes, I think I'm probably one of the only ones who understands that traditional insurance might not work as well as some concept like this. Yeah, so that's where the advantage comes in for me, where I think I understand the consumer reasonably well and there's potential there. Great. Okay. It's been interesting talking to you. I knew it's going to be interesting, but I didn't know it's going to be this super, super interesting. <laughs> and I know a lot of fun. Okay. Well, thank, thank you for you. having me. Thank yeah. you for coming. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you. 
There is no single pathway to entrepreneurial success. Most of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed on this podcast have gone through unique ways to reach their goals, but there are similar milestones along the journey. There are common questions every entrepreneur should address as they build their business. How do I find an idea I should pursue? How do I validate the idea? How do I build the product? How do I launch it? How do I find and reach customers? How do I grow revenue and scale? How do I build community? community around my product? How do I build a team that we execute? How do I raise money? These are the fundamental questions every entrepreneur should be asking. The Hustle Bootcamp program will help you tackle these questions. The Hustle Bootcamp is an intensive five-week online program for high-performing individuals who want to build profitable, scalable, and fundable business in Africa. This is not your average online course. It is a coaching program. Everything in the course is designed towards enabling you to launch your new business or innovate an existing one. We are prioritizing transformation over information. There are five models in the program and they will be delivered over video along with worksheets, action plans, and step-by-step guides. But more importantly, every week during the program, I'll be hosting live office hours Q&A where we'll be breaking down key aspects of the course. And I'll have some of the guests from this podcast in the live Q&A. If you really want to be scale or get funding for your own business this is the program for you registration is now open and we'll be closing it very soon we have very limited seats go to the bootcamp.com that is t-h-e-h-u-s-t-l-e bootcamp.com the bootcamp.com and register now Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future. And you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E S T A R T A com and sign up for our newsletter it will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy if you subscribe now it will help us a lot thanks